0: All right, let's dive into the Word of God. Welcome to week number two of Truish, where We're asking just a mega question. What is my purpose? Everyone's thought about it, and if you haven't, you're going to this morning. Um, what am I, why do I exist? Why am I here on the planet Earth? What am I supposed to be about, and what does that look like? I bumped into a friend a few months ago, and uh, I hadn't seen him in probably a year. He is uh, certainly a more elderly gentleman. And he said to me, he said, Alan, last January, um, do you remember there was an awful flu going around in the winter? And he said, I got, a, I got the flu. And he said, I nearly died. Uh, and he, he, He's a little bit on in years, and it, it really rocked him. He said, I, I nearly lost my life. And then he looks at me, and he just filled up with tears out of the blue. I didn't expect this. And he said to me, God has given me more time. I think God has given me a little bit more time. And then here's the, the challenging part of this. And he said to me, he says, but for the life of me, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with the time that he's given me. What am I supposed to do? And if you were there, you could have seen the look in this man's eyes. I'm not joking you. All I can tell you, it, it was 100% sincere. He was being as honest and sincere as a person can be. I don't know what I'm supposed to do at all. As an older man... I think he has an acute grasp that he doesn't have decades and decades left of his life. And he's asking the question, what God do you want me to do with my life? How am I supposed to live? There's another gentleman, perhaps you have heard of him or not. His name is Christ- Christopher Hitchens. He passed away a few years ago. He is a very highly educated, very intelligent, and very skilled debater. Um, He has written many books, none of which I would recommend at all. His probably best-selling book is entitled, God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything. And during the course of his life, there's no doubt about it, he was a prolific and influential anti-theist, anti-religion, anti-Christianity, and a huge proponent and champion of atheism. In his debates, he was a gleeful antagonist of anyone, of any kind of faith whatsoever. He seemed to take pleasure in intellectual sword fighting, and I watched him on many occasions gut his opponents and embarrass them and humiliate them in front of other people. In one particular public debate forum, he was asked this question. Now, the context for him is atheism. And so the question for him was specifically placed like this. If God does not exist, then what is the purpose of your life? Same question. And this is what he said. He said, well, I can only answer for myself. Hmm, what cheers me up? Mainly gloating over the misfortunes of others. The crowd began to laugh. Mainly crowing over the miseries of others. And the crowd began to laugh a little more. He says, it doesn't always work, but it never completely fails. And then there's irony. That is the cream in my coffee. He said, sex can have diminishing returns, but it is amazing. That's it, really. And then clear onto the grave. The fact that he had a thick British accent didn't help me like him anymore. At the end of that little tiny speech, the crowd roared laughing and broke out into applause a great question. What's the purpose of your life? Most of us in this room have at least considered uh, that question before. But for some of you right here and right now, it'll be the first time that you actually give it some real space. Now, I want you to notice something about this man, Christopher Hitchens' answer, because I think his answer was extremely flawed. He was asked the question, what is the purpose of your life? And his answer was flawed, I think, in the exact same way that so often we actually trip up in this area. He was specifically asked, what is the purpose of your life? But he immediately rephrased the question. Do you remember how he did it? He said, well, I can only answer myself, hmm, what cheers me up? That's not the same question. That is, so I could change the question, according to him, what makes me happy? Now they're two very different questions. What makes me happy? What is the purpose of my life? And he seems to have muddled that up in a very big way. He could not grasp, I believe personally, because he has no regard for his maker, the one who made him. Instead, he answered the question, what makes me happy? And I would say to you today that your happiness and your purpose are two very different things. Purpose will change you. It will change you so that you can leave a mark and so that you can contribute a verse. Happiness, which isn't a bad thing, it's not wrong or evil to be happy, of course not. But 90 to 95% of the time, happiness is actually derived from a sense of self gratification. We want to do things and experience things and have things that are pretty self centered. Sometimes, Those two things can collide. Now, please don't miss this. This is essential to understanding purpose today. And one author has put this so, so well. I love his words. This is what he says in answer to the question what is the purpose of your life? He says this it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment or your peace of mind or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family or your career or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on the planet Earth, you begin with God. Why? Because you were made by God and you were made for God. And until you understand that, life simply will never make sense for you. The biblical premise is quite simple. The purpose of your life is not centered around you fulfilling your needs. Now, if we were to take what the world will do with this, because here's the shades of gray in this concept of what is true or true-ish. Here's what the world will say to you. And sometimes we swallow this pill. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to have what you want in life. You deserve fulfillment. You deserve to be satisfied. You ought to have all of those things and more. I just don't know where it says that in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with having things, but this entitlement that I think sometimes we we move through life with and say, well, if I can get those things, have those things, get that title, get that education, have that resume, have these achievements, have these possessions, then I will be happy and I will be fulfilled is actually a lie. And if you're living there and thinking there, you're living in all kinds of shades of gray. The biblical premise is very, very different. It's actually not about you and your fulfillment of every one of the desires of your heart. If you take the world's advice that you deserve to be fulfilled in every way, if you take that to perhaps its best case scenario, you have people saying things like, well, you know, I want to be a good person, I want to be a good mom, I want to be a good dad, I want to have a good work ethic, I want to have a good job, I want to make some, you know, have a decent living, and I want to be, I want to, you know, be in good relationships with my kids or grandkids and friends and all that kind of stuff. None of those things are are evil or wrong, but who's in the middle of that bullseye? Me. Me. You take it to its worst-case scenario. None of us want to admit this, but there are shades of this that exist inside every one of us. Here's the worst-case scenario of the answer to what fulfills me and what's my purpose. Worst-case scenario, I want to make money. That's in every side inside of every one of us. I think, you know, I want these things. I want that house. I want that job. I want to climb that ladder. I want to be at the top. I want influence. I want control. I want authority. I want titles. I want resumes. I want all of these things. I want these accumulated in my life. And when I have those things, then I will be fulfilled and I will be happy. And you will be living in shades of gray. And God says, man, you're missing the mark as a follower of Christ. How many of you have ever come to a T-junction in your life? And by that, I mean, imagine just driving your car, and you get to that dead end, but there's a right and there's a left. So, in other words, it's a place in your life where you just can't keep doing the same thing. Now you have to make a change and a decision to go one way or the other. Now, here's what happens in every one of our lives, particularly for those of us who are followers of Christ. We quickly go, Dear Jesus, what do I do, what do, I do now in my life? Am I supposed to turn left or right? I can't keep doing. What i'm doing what is your will for me in this juncture of my life because i would really like to hear from you and then we hear crickets ever had that hey god and so we we say well i'll pray some more i'll pray louder i'll pray longer i'll pray with some more bible words i'll stick bible words in my prayer and then we pray more and then we're like man i still didn't hear from god ever had this like I, and then you even get to a point where you're like okay i actually had my preference Now I don't even care anymore. I just really want to know what you want me to do. And then we go crazy. We're like, God, I'll fast. (laughs) This is hardcore. Who here likes their breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I I do. I like my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm going to fast, and and we do, and gurgle, gurgle, gurgle in your tummy all day long. And you're, Jesus, help me to know. I need to know, left or right, what do I do with that? And at the end of it, I didn't hear from you. You know what happens at that point in our walk with Christ? I got a bit ticked off. I prayed. I prayed more. I prayed louder and longer. I I fasted. (laughs) It was painful. Hey, God, and check this out I put the quarter in the machine, I pulled the lever, and I didn't get my answer. And that's where we get lost in further shades of gray when it comes to the purpose of God in our life. You didn't tell me what I needed to know. Where's my God? Why can't I hear? And we end up frustrated and confused and we end up feeling like, man, maybe I can't even hear from my father and it doesn't make sense and it's not clear to us. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a very quick, like a three-minute kind of theological mini little study right here. And I want to I look at this, this phrase, the will of God. That's what we're talking about. What is my purpose? Why do we exist, God? What is your will for my life? Now, and the reason why there are some nuances to this is because in the English language, if I were to say to you, what is the will of God, we all have a pretty similar understanding of what that phrase means. When you look at Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, there are nuances to that. So I'm going to give you, like, we could do like a five-week study, but I'm going to do it in three minutes. Ready? So buckle your seatbelt. Number one is the sovereign will of God. Just biblical understanding of this this concept, the will of God. The easiest way to understand this is let there be light. Some theologians call this the ultimate will of God or the decretive will of God. So when God says let there be light, who is there that's gonna get in the way of that? Who's gonna prevent God or stop God from let there be light? Nobody's gonna stand in the way of God. It is the sovereign will of God. He says it and it is. Second one is the prescriptive will of God. Some theologians would call this the, leg- the legislative will of God. And this is the law. And so we're all very familiar with simple concepts like, you yeah, don't kill, don't steal, don't look at someone else's spouse and covet after them. And, and these are good things. Because when we break these rules of God, the legislation of God, we end up in real trouble and people get hurt. Do these things always happen? Is it like the sovereign will of God? No, it's different. And we're all aware that we, every one of us are guilty of these kinds of things. Third one is the will of disposition. This is what actually pleases God. 2 Peter chapter 3, God does not want any to perish. God wants everyone to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so this is actually what God desires. Does that always happen? No, that does not always happen. But when it does, God is pleased. That rings true in the heart of God. Last two, and actually, these are the two that I want to focus on the most the revealed will of God. Now, if, there, if you are here today and you're a brand new Christian, this might be really new to you. If you've been a Christian for any period of time and maybe you've picked up the Bible and read it all, you already know what this is because it's all over the Bible, it's not a secret. It's obvious and clear. You can open up almost any page of the Bible, and you're going to bump into this kind of truth. It is the revealed will of God. The fancy word for this in theology is sanctification. And what it simply is, is exactly what we referenced at the beginning when we talked about that freedom group that we have together. God doesn't just leave you rescued. Praise God that we're rescued and saved. But he says, now I'm going to actually change you, and I'm going to make you more like my son, Jesus Christ praise God that he does that. He doesn't leave us limping. He says, I'm going to transform you. And the word of God is littered. Like, that's what I want to do in your life. I want to make you like my son. I want to turn you into this person, Jesus Christ. I want to change and transform you. And I'm really glad that God has committed to that in our lives. uh, final one, and we're going to look at these last two together. The last one is the hidden will of God. And that's the one where we just end up scratching our head and very frustrated. That's where we get hung up. Where should I go to school? What should I study? Should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? Should I borrow this money? Should I start this business? Should I marry Sally? Should I marry Joey? You know, all these decisions, good good decisions, important decisions. And we come to God and we're like, God, just tell me what to do. And sometimes we're like, I am not really sure. And we get a little paralyzed in all of those things. Now here's the truth that I'm going to share with you that you probably don't want to hear. But you're going to hear it anyway. What I want to suggest to you today is that we get in paralysis in the area of the hidden will of God. This last one right here. We feel like we can't hear from God. But here's the key, key piece. The revealed will of God and the hidden will of God. If you and I if we will chase after the revealed will of God, becoming more like Jesus Christ, if you will pursue that in your life, I don't know how God does it, by his power and his influence and the person of the Holy Spirit, he brings to bear what is needed in the hidden will of God. Now, you probably don't like that answer, because what we want is to put our question in the microwave. Hit the button, and we want an instant answer specifically from God. Now, can God do that? Of course God can do that. He can do anything He wants. But my experience is that God says, Hey, Alan, let's journey through life together, and I'll bring you on these twists and turns, these lefts and rights and these T-junctions, but I want you to become more like my son. Why do I say that? Look at Matthew chapter 6. I want you to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And what happens when we do that? When you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all of these things will be added to you as well. Now, this is such a fundamental area of purpose that I think so many Christ followers miss. It's actually core to the gospel, but it's not really taught. What is the gospel? Most people think the gospel is the good news message that Jesus came and died on a cross so that today... If I believe in Jesus and ask him to forgive me of my sins, one day I will get to go to heaven. Now, that's good news, isn't it? Ah, it's better news than that. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah, we're real. that's joyful news. But I'm telling you, if that is the totality of our understanding of the gospel, we're missing a core piece of it. Because the promise of spiritual transformation is core to the gospel. What is the purpose of your life? The purpose of your life is the transformation of the human heart. That is what God expects, and that is what God died for. When does that happen? When does that transformation take place? Does it happen when you kick the bucket and you die? No. It starts the moment you cross the line of faith and begin to live for God. The revealed will of God in your life, the purpose of your life, will lead you into the hidden will of God. Look at Romans chapter 8. This kind of just puts it perfectly. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. Who knew? He decided from the outset, look at this, to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as those of his son. There it is. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, He followed up by calling them uh, by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. This is God's commitment to make you like his son, Jesus Christ. God has called you towards transformation. Most Christians, we call out to God usually when it's like, help, most of us, tons of Christians, I just need relief from difficulty. Others, God, I just need you to bring some normal into my life. Still, other Christians, I just so, I meet mean, so many Christians, they really do get caught up sometimes, I believe, in side issues peripheral issues. Not that they're unimportant, but they, those peripheral issues become the main issues for them. And I would suggest to you today, nothing spiritual will be realized if all your focus is on either warfare or end times or some of these other great issues when the, when the real work of actually being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ is not taking place in your life. And intuitively, I believe we know this. I think God has placed this in our souls. I was at a conference several months ago. I was just absolutely amazed by this one speaker. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I really haven't got a clue. His name is Jim Lair, if I'm pronouncing that right. And he's at the tail end of his career. And he did this study for 30 years. This is so cool. I'm going to give you his conclusion of 30 years of research. I'm going to give it to you in like 30 seconds right now. How nice is that? And this is kind of social science. He has a, a thing in Florida. It's called the High Performance Institute. And what he did is, over three decades, he accumulated just very high-achieving people, academia, sports, you know, music industry, people who were just you know cream of the crop, athletes, Olympians, this kind of high-achieving individuals. And then they were asked all kinds of questions. One of the questions that he asked them just fascinated me. He said, list the six words that you want on your tombstone when you were at your peak, when you were at your best, what are the six words that you would put on your tombstone? And he said, what just blew me away is that the answer every time, unequivocally, the answer every time with these high performance people, the answer always went to moral character. It never ever went to The gold medals and the titles and standing on the platforms and the recognition or the money or the advertisements or Nike or Reebok, it never went to any of those things. Every single time, the six words that they would choose to go on their tombstone always went to moral character. It was never personal achievement or personal fulfillment. They never spoke about, I want to be a happy person or look at what I did. And here was his conclusion. This just, I just couldn't help but laugh at this. He said this, you justify the gift of life by giving it away. Your energy was given to you to invest into others for the right reason. In leading yourself, make sure your scorecard reveals what matters most. Your moral and your ethical character has no equal that is the most important thing that you could do with your life is to give it away to other people now the reason why i find that amazing is because this guy he could have saved himself 30 years of work had he just listened to a carpenter about 2000 years ago and checked out matthew chapter 16 look at what jesus says it's so cool. He says, "For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it." There's a paraphrase of the exact same scripture. He says, "Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to finding yourself. This is purpose, guys. Your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you ever wanted but to lose yourself? There's the wisdom. There's the answer to the question. It's spelled out beautifully in Galatians chapter 5. It's asking and answering the question what does it look like in terms of my purpose if I live the God life? What happens to me? What goes on my tombstone? What are the six words that could possibly describe me? And this is what happens to you and I when we pursue likeness of Jesus Christ. Here's the fruit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Wow. Anyone want that to be their, their eulogy? I want that. Who among us, if we could do the impossible, if you could attend your own funeral, wants to hear a description of people stand up and say, well, he had a lot of money. Who wants to hear if you could be a fly on the wall on your own funeral that people just touting personal achievements or your education or some title that you held at some point of time in your life or clothes or cars or a house. When it comes down to it, here's what I know about you. You long to hear this. He was a loving man. She was a kind human being. And for it to be true. That's what you want to hear. You want people to stand up and actually say, you know what? With everything that was doled out, all of the ups and downs, all of the life kicking you in the teeth, all of the times when you were laughing and all of the times when you were bawling your head off, all of those bumps and bruises and every nicety in between, they navigated life with joy and goodness and self-control. I know this to be true of every one of you. That's what you long to hear of your life. And the gospel says, that's your purpose. Jesus says, I am more committed than you are to transforming you into that kind of man or woman, changing you. Christians are never stagnant. Christians should constantly be able to look back and say, I'm different, I'm different, I'm different, I'm different. I walked up to a fella in the first service I made his day. I was like, have you lost a bit of weight? He put this huge smile on his face. I have. He says, I lost 10 pounds. He was loving it, he was. and uh, Because we love to hear that, right? I I look different. I look better. Christians should constantly be looking back and say, I'm not the same way that I was a month ago. I'm a different man or I'm a different woman than a year ago or five years ago. If there's stagnancy in that, something's actually wrong. We should be coming more and more like Jesus Christ as each passing day goes by. And Jesus says, I'm committed to undoing the self in you. I'm more committed to that morphing than you're committed to it. And that introduces a life of freedom that you don't have to wait to die for. You don't have to wait till heaven to get there. Perhaps this is what Jesus meant when he prayed these amazing words, teaching us how to pray. We're talking about, God, what is your will? What is your purpose? Why do I exist? He says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, what's your will for my life? Simple. The way it is up there That's the way it's supposed to be in here. And when that's like that in here, that spills out into a messy and dirty world. And that's how we have impact. You want to know who you should marry? Become like Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what job and career you're supposed to have? Become like Jesus Christ. Do you want to know if you should buy that house? Become like Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how to deal with impossible people in your life? Become like Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what you should study at school or what friends to embrace or what to do with your money or when to retire? Become like Jesus Christ. But Pastor Allen, that is not the answer I want. I want to put my money in the machine. I want to pull the lever down. And I want an answer, and I want it now. I get it. I've prayed the same prayer. I've even fasted breakfast. I didn't enjoy it. I totally and utterly get it. And here's what it is. Today's small decisions to follow Christ will lead you to your greatest destination. How do I do that? Well, you get up this morning. You get up today. You get up tomorrow. You get up the day afterwards. You wake up. You say, good morning, God. Transform me. Morning, Jesus. I'm ready to think differently than the way I normally think. Morning, God. I expect change in me today. I expect transformation. Can't wait. I'm probably going to hate it. Can't wait. Because nobody likes to change. God, I want transformation. God, Do that in me today. Full permission, I yield and surrender my life. Today, change me, make me different. God, I pray you would affect me this morning. I pray I would get into the word of God, I'd open up the Bible, it would speak to me today, and then I'd act on that. God, I pray that as I head to work, I just know that I'm going with your presence with me today. God, I pray that if today is filled with hardship, I just know that you're gonna be with me and I'm gonna be looking to see you in the middle of all of that hardship as well. God, today, if I'm visited by hell itself, I am just gonna trust you with that. Because I want to become more like Jesus Christ. And I repent of any lesser goal than wanting to be like Jesus Christ in my life. God created me more love and more joy and more peace than I've got. God created me more faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and self control in my life than I've got. I got to go to work today. I got to meet my boss. He's an idiot. God, he's an idiot. I can't stand him. Every time I meet the guy, I'm ready to fly off the handle at this guy, and he's probably going to fire me. But today, I pray I would be different and changed. I would be filled with self control. And I need that. And I want those words on my tombstone, and I know this. You want them too. There is a different way to live your life. It's a fellow in the New Testament called Paul. And he, over and over again, because he wrote quite a bit in the New Testament, he's like, I want to be more like Jesus. This is what I want. I mean, I want to get rid of this, oh, this junk inside of me. I want to put it to death. I just want to be more like Jesus. He says it over and over again. He keeps saying this stuff. Really interesting what you never see him write in any of the letters that he wrote. He never says, man, I really fancy the title Apostle Paul. It sounds good. I mean, it's impressive. I mean, people would say, you know, apostle. I mean, it's way up there. I want to be apostle. You know what I want? I want to be known as the guy who writes one-third of the New Testament. That's the Bible. Me, my penmanship. The Bible, one-third of it. I want to be known as the guy who took the gospel outside of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria into these different regions and these countries, man, just to chat. And people would know that I'm the guy who did that. He never says this. Now, Did Paul ever come to a T-junction in his life? You bet he did. Did Paul ever get to a moment where he's like, God, what am I supposed to do next? How am I supposed to advance the gospel? Do you really want me? What's my ministry, God? What, what, What have you called me to? You better believe. But he never once sought after those kinds of details. He never put the quarter of the machine and pulled it down that we know of. And every time he just said, I just want Jesus. And lo and behold, what happened? He was called the Apostle Paul. He did write one third of the New Testament. And yes, he did bring the gospel into these regions and countries all throughout the Middle East and beyond. Somehow, in seeking after the revealed will of God, he discovered the hidden will of God. And how God does that, I don't even know. That's above my pay grade. Look what Jesus did with a few common men and women. They didn't shy away from suffering or withdraw from sacrifice. It is proof that God changes and transforms people. God is not raising up ministries. He's raising up bond servants. Do you have a burning passion to conformity to Jesus Christ? Is he the highest passion in your life to possess the likeness of Christ? How do you get there? One word, and I'll wrap it up empty how do i become more like jesus christ empty so you remember all that stuff we talked about that we think is our purpose i want to be happy I deserve to have this stuff. I want, I want to accumulate. If I can do that, I'll be successful. I want these titles. This is all the things that we think will give us fulfillment, and this is the reason why you exist. You take all that stuff, and you empty it out of your life with the power of the Holy Spirit, partnering with God. God, i got to empty that out from me. And you look at the pattern of Scripture. In Genesis, God is about to create. This is what he wants to do. He wants to create in you. And he says, the earth was void and formless. It was empty. It doesn't say the earth was nicely organized and structured and had all kinds of things in place. The earth was void and formless. And God says, That's the palette I want. That's the blank canvas that I want to work with. We go to the upper room, these disciples who are quaking in their boots. They're desperate and they're hungry and they're empty and they do not have the answer. And Jesus says, Yep, I'll use you, I'll use you, I'll use you, and I'll change the world. Jesus preaches what some would say is his ultimate sermon. And he comes out with this phrase, it makes no sense. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? No. (laughs) I don't want to be the poor in spirit. Yeah. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They're going to inherit the kingdom of God. What? Yeah. In other words, man, you are a blessed man and you are a blessed woman when you've come to the end of yourself, when you actually empty yourself out. You understand that your purpose is not about you or your self-fulfillment or you making you happy. That's when there's more room as a result of the emptiness for God and God's rule and his reign in your life. It is when the Holy Spirit graces you with emptiness and he pours objective desperation into your heart. These are the kinds of people who come before God and say, here's my skill skills. Here's my talents. Here's my titles. Here's my corporate ladder. Here's my money. Here's my connections. Here's my power. Here's my authority. I throw it down at your feet. I come before you, God, and all I want is to be void and empty and desperate and poor in spirit. I want to be hungry for you. And then we see Jesus Christ saying, I will model this for you as uh, as he leaves heaven and he comes to earth and he says, now I will take on the form of a servant and become obedient to death, even death on a cross. You bring your barrenness to God knowing that true fullness is always preceded by true emptiness. Make sense? Here's the equation. Me minus self plus Christ. That's your purpose. Can we stand together? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, you know, I think a call out of confusion and gray into truth. Thank you for your commitment to transforming us that is greater than our commitment to ourselves. Our purpose is to manifest through us, through me, through every person here, the nature of your son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is just crazy amazing to think that people like us with all of our junk and guilt could actually be changed to be like Jesus Christ. So God, we commit to seeing that purpose and taking you by the hand that we could accomplish that together. What an honor. Please help us to realize the places that we should go and the careers that we should lead, the families that we should love. Lord, all of these decisions, we lay those things at your feet, important things, and we trust that you will lead us and guide us as we are being transformed. Help us to engage with the gospel today and not just something that happens to us when we die. Help us to follow you in the small daily places that sometimes to us feel small and inconsequential and trivial, but that actually lead us in the direction that you have for us. Thank you for the incredible, exciting purpose and destiny that you have for every single one of our lives. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Love you, church. God bless. Have a good week.